0: introduce our speaker um, for today. Our speaker for today is um, a PE teacher at the school, teaches um, a bit of Bible and um, even a bit of art. Is um, also a bit of a crazy man on a bike, currently the um, 23 to 29 Queensland state champion, which is kind of cool. Um, but more importantly, um, he's been given a talent For understanding um, the scripture and and being able to present it in a really cool way. So I want to welcome Chris Starrett up the front. Thanks, Dustin. I'll just get. It's got an iPad. There we are. Uh, There's been a few times where I've spoken about the story of Joseph and they're quite a uh, significant memories to me because most of them have been fairly uh disorganized so hopefully today's a step up from that <laughs> my first lesson I ever taught at North Pine was actually on Joseph and it was down in room 23 which is now uh, the TLC area and I I had uh not really fully adjusted to the timetable that I was about to live by for the next four years to today and uh, I walked into roll call it was a uh, year 9c. I think Caleb Henley and a couple of other guys were in that room and I uh, had Rollmark with them and thought this is going pretty well and Daryl Hobson was my wingman. We did roll as, par- um, as partners then and Daryl had pulled a real good swifty and just not showed up on my first day and um, he actually warned me when we were partnered up that that would happen quite a bit and it proved to be prophetic <laughs> and um, I had roll mark with them and and I thought that went well for my first roll mark ever as a, an official teacher. And then the bell went. And I said, all right, guys, I'll, I'll see you later. And they said, no, you won't. You'll see us now. we got Bible with you right here, right now. <laughs> and I, um, I had not been fully aware of this. And uh, all the, the content for that first lesson in my teaching career was sitting in my office. And I just remembered that it was about Joseph and so I stood there for a moment and quickly gathered my thoughts and was like, all right, time to sermonize. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the lesson, the kids just came up to me and I remember Caleb distinctly saying to me, Sir, are you a new teacher here or are you one of the chaplains? Because uh, that was a bit different. <laughs> I said, no, Caleb, I, I'm definitely not a chaplain, mate. Um, I'm, I'm your teacher and uh, next lesson, make sure you bring your books because <laughs> you will have to write something. So the other memory I have when I'm talking about Joseph is the first worship I ever took. So there's a bit of a theme here. Uh, I was on the Storm Co. when I was in year 12 at Avondale High and Leighton Heist threw me in the deep end and said, tomorrow morning you're going to do worship, Chris. And I was sitting there like, I went on this Storm because my girlfriend had dragged me along. And I'm thinking, the only Bible I had was this old um, uh, Good News Bible my grandparents from Uniting Church had given me. And I'd never opened the thing. It just said on the to-do list to bring a Bible. So I'd chucked it in. And I opened this thing up and I thought, oh, I'll, pu- I'll pull one of those like kind of Swifties where you just open the Bible and go with where- <laughs> whatever you open to and try and pull something out. And I um, opened to the section where Joseph interprets the dreams of the baker and the butler. And I, I pulled this worship <laughs> out of it that um that if like we're talking to the kids on Stormco and they come and tell us their dreams that like we just need to just rely on God to help us interpret them or something and I just took it so far out of context but Leighton's just sitting there just like yeah that was awesome mate that was sweet <laughs> it's really building me up and a few years later I went back and looked at it and I was like mate that guy was really putting up uh, building me up in front of correct theology that day so I had a few interesting experiences with the story of Joseph and I I think I should pray now, just to guide today. <laughs> so if you want to bow your heads with me. God, I want to thank you for this place. Uh, I pray that this school, this church, this community is, is um, growing in the knowledge that this is not an exclusive zone. Church is not an exclusive zone. This school is not an exclusive zone. And and Lord, when people drive past this place, I pray that they they are drawn to the community that's growing here and that your spirit would move in our hearts to reach out, and your spirit would move in the community that we are nestled in, that they would see this as a place that's here to serve them. And as I speak about Joseph today, and as he was a servant, Lord, I pray that we we take something from his life. Amen. I want to turn to Genesis 37, if you've got a Bible, and just start by setting the scene. Genesis 37, I want to unpack just a few of Joseph's apparent issues. Because uh, I I feel that he's not the kind of guy I would have really liked in Genesis 37. Genesis 37 we have uh, jo- it's, it's titled Joseph's Dreams. Now uh, it tells us that Jacob and his family lived in the uh, the land of their forefathers, and Joseph at this point was 17 years old, so uh, kind of at the peak of his of his teen years and about to move into young adulthood, in our in our context, and he was pasturing the flock. Um, Now, Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. So he's a bit of a -a dibidobble. We start to get this vibe already. Um, And and he loved, Israel loved Joseph. He's his favorite son. So I'm already getting this vibe as I start reading about Joseph, that he is a bit proud and arrogant. And this is confirmed as we go through 37. And it says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So there's already some angst there. Now, I get the sense that he's a fairly socially unaware or extremely arrogant dude. Because if you know that your brothers, like if you know your friends don't like you or they're getting sick of you, um, you don't go to them and give them more fuel for the fire. So if you know your siblings are a little on edge with the way you're acting and your attitude, you don't go to them. Like if my brother was ticked off at me when we were kids, I didn't go to him and say, hey, mum and daddy giving me all this stuff that they're not giving you. Check that out. (laughs) because He's just as likely to punch me in the face. Joseph doesn't seem to have that awareness. And he, he goes and he says to them, hear this dream that I've had. And it, I get the sense, this is the ESV I'm reading. I know what yours says, that he's kind of announcing it with a bit of grandeur. Hear this dream that I've had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf stood, arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold again, I have dreamed another dream. Like the guy's arrogance is just like reeking to me. The sun, the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his fathers and his brothers, his father even rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the issue in mind. Now, yeah, as I've said, it comes across to me that Joseph is like, he's, he's proud, he's arrogant, or just a fool who's totally socially unaware. And it's probably a combination of a lot of those. Uh, and, and Jacob's probably bred this to a certain extent. When you, when you give someone so much praise and you're so proud of them, um, they kind of start to lose their sense of humility. And I feel that Joseph has probably, in his teen years, Um, bolstered by the confidence his father had in him, gained some pretty negative character traits. And you almost, as much as his brothers are definitely at fault in what they do, and we saw in the video, in what they've done to him, you get the sense that his character definitely, in our Australian culture, we call it tall poppy syndrome, he needed to be brought down a few pegs. And, And that certainly happens to him. Now the interesting thing is that in that pride, Joseph would have started to, he's got dreams, and he would have started to envision Plans and a future for his own life. And this is where I want to start talking about, and we'll we'll weave these two stories, your story, my story, and Joseph's stories together. And I want to start that here. In that we all live like Joseph in our own ways. We all have these dreams, and they might not be prophetic dreams that have got symbols and things in them that have been given to us by God, but we all have dreams in a metaphoric sense, and visions and plans for our lives that we start to put in place. And we start to pursue those dreams and those visions. And we start to to have a lot of our sense of identity riding on those dreams and those plans. Who we are, who I am and who I'm becoming becomes interwoven with those dreams and those plans for the direction of my life and how I think it should go. And if we get too consumed by it, we can become really self-interested as obviously Joseph is and quite self-absorbed in thinking that this is all about us, it's all about me. If I get myself to point A and then to point B, then things are going well and I can say of myself, that I have achieved. And this is a process that we all go through. And I want to suggest, and this might be a simplification of life. You can come and talk to me after if you've got some, something to contribute to it. But I think that with planning and dreaming, we all end up doing one of, or a few of three things. We either achieve, fail, or adapt. And we adapt to make it feel like we've achieved anyway. I want you to think in your life, maybe in some context or some different forums, where you've gone through that process. As if you had? Plans and dreams that you've been chasing after. And they can be short-term or they can be long-term. And how you've either achieved those, and those are moments of, of great joy and celebration, or you've, you've failed. And sometimes if you fail and there's no out route, you kind of, you know, you've failed and that's it and you get left high and dry. That, those are moments that are terrible, but we often learn and grow from. But then there's also those times when we fail, but there's that kind of get-out-of-jail-free card where you can go, well, I'll just change this situation I'll just change my outlook on this situation to make it feel like I've had a success anyway. I'll give you some examples if you're struggling to kind of visualise what I'm saying. Basketball. When I'm a kindy kid, I'm obsessed with Michael Jordan and it's all I want to be. An NBA basketball player. I know some of you boys up the back there, probably um, looking at you, Ryan, (laughs) have got, and I was hanging out with some of the year nine boys last night and they've got these dreams and aspirations of being an NBA basketball player, the best you can be. Now, as I went on my schooling journey and didn't have a growth spurt when I wanted a growth spurt and didn't get picked for teams I wanted to be picked for, my idea of what an achievement or success was had to adapt. So when I'm in um, under 16s and I try out for the rep team and I get chosen for the Div 2 side <laughs> because I'm not tall enough and still a year younger than all the other guys, my mum and dad are really good at helping me to adapt that journey to a success story. How hey, you still made it. And now you get to be the best player on the second team who plays the whole game instead of the guy who sits on the bench in the Div 1 team. So this is a real success. We adapt. There have been other stories of adaption as I've grown up. University was a process of succeeding small amounts, failing large amounts and adapting a whole lot. An assignment would be handed out and I'd come into every semester with this gusto of Uh, motivation and inspiration and all the assignments would come in and I had this habit of whenever I got an assignment I'd open um, all of the necessary documents to start it make a title page do an introduction um, even and say at least six weeks from now when this is due I know that on the first day I made a start and I would have grand intentions of getting this assignment done to the highest of standards and getting a high distinction but as the many distractions of university life kind of came along over the ensuing weeks my idea of what an achievement and success would be would slowly adapt to, well, look, a C would be all right, a C star. And then a week or a few days before it's due, the adaption had gone to, well, hey, if I pass this thing, that's a real win. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of you can relate to that in different areas of your life and even in your working life still today, that might be something that happens. Now, Joseph, I think, was at the the time that we've read so far where he's announcing his dreams, he's at a stage where he's going, hey, there could be big things in the future for me. And he's starting to envision like, okay, I'm my dad's favorite. I might be the second youngest brother, but I'm my dad's favorite. So I'm looking at, you know, probably being the man in this family and this tribe in the years to come, because he's going to bestow a lot of responsibility and power on me. Now, Joseph's dreams and the way that he deals with them land him in a pretty uh, average spot. And there's a bit of a picture, I don't Wanna, I don't have a PowerPoint, but I have an image that kind of um, shows us what Joseph was probably thinking and then what actually ends up happening. And You might have seen this before. kind of relates. Your plan, this idea that we'll just cruise to the finish line, and then God's plan, which is um, a whole bunch of yeah, gullies, bridges, and short fallings, and things like that. Now, I don't necessarily agree that that's God's plan, and we'll address that later, but I think that the message of the image helps to convey what I'm saying. So I want to move on. Joseph's dreams land him in a hole. Now this may have happened to you before. When your dreams and plans and things don't happen and you you fall short and you feel like you've really, you know, you've failed and things aren't going well. Now Joseph's failure, landing in a hole, I don't think was just a sudden event that occurred as a result of these dreams. We can see from his interaction with his brothers that this was probably coming for a while. Now this happens in life. And I was thinking about it this morning, the two main times it's happened in my life are either A, when I'm taking a whole bunch of risks and I'm living life on the edge, kind of just trying to burn the candle at both ends or trying to do a little bit too much, biting off more than I can chew. That's usually when I land myself in a hole, living at such a fast pace. And usually when you live at that pace, it's all about you. And then all of a sudden you hit a stop sign and you end up in a ditch and you're like, oh didn't see this coming, thought I was really, you know, building some momentum here, and the other times that I've found myself in a ditch is when I'm really, really, really comfortable, I'm just happy with how things are going, everything's good for me, I'm comfortable, I've got everything that I need sorted, my life's organised, everything's in order, and then all of a sudden, things get turned upside down, how did this happen? You know, I was really comfortable, I was in a good spot there, I was lukewarm, and it was perfect. Perfect. And all of a sudden, things get flipped on their head. And you may be able to relate, but I feel that those are two kind of patterns I've fallen into of living life just constantly on the edge and people going to you, you're saying yes to too much stuff or you need to stop you know, taking so many risks or you need to just you know, put a good quality amount of time into the things you're doing rather than many things. And that's when you just end up burnt out or when you are just so happy with how things are going for yourself that you've lost sight of the people and the reality that's around you. Now Joseph, I think, was really comfortable. He was resting on his haunches, and he ends up in a hole. Now I want to talk about this idea that we get surprised when trials come our way. I mean, why don't we expect it? Why do we not expect trials to come our way? We, and it's because we get so comfortable. I just talked about that. We live in a first world country. We are financially stable compared to everyone else in the world. We're blessed in that sense. We have all of the creature comforts we want. Most of the things that you purchase or that you do are not done out of a sense of need. They're done out of a sense of want. And when you start to live in that zone of most of the things that I do for myself or that I purchase for myself realistically are wants, not needs, then you're living in that comfort zone of just adding to your your hoard of treasure. And Joseph, he's definitely doing that. He's got his coat, which the Bible tells us is kind of this thing this possession he has that marks him as above the others. I love that comment in that video. You guys notice it in the stick figure video when the brothers rip the coat off him and one of the little voices goes, it's not even cold. <laughs> you don't need that thing. And Joseph's living in that zone. And when he ends up in that hole, I would bet that despite his arrogance and his pride, he didn't see it coming. He wasn't expecting that. I think if he was expecting it, the Bible would tell us that he was a lot more worried when his father sends him out to see his brothers. He might be, maybe would have said to his dad, Dad, can you come with me so they don't kill me? So he obviously didn't get this vibe that his brothers were kind of on the edge of ending things for him because he would tested their patience so much. And so often in our lives, we end up in that Joseph space of being so comfortable and so happy with where things are at, or so busy and so living at a, such a high pace, that when we hit that roadblock, when we hit that stop sign and we end up in the hole... Going, how did this possibly happen? How did this happen to me? How could this possibly happen to me? And And we're surprised. And then we start going, well, hey, I thought God had this plan for me. And I'm sure Joseph's mind went through this process. I've had these dreams. I've got these plans. I thought God was taking me down this path. And now I'm in a ditch. What the heck is going on here? God, what are you doing to me? And so often we forget that God, yeah, he does have a plan. But he's working in enemy territory. He's, he's working, and God, I believe, I said that we are looking to achieve, fail, or we have to adapt. And I think that a lot of the time, God's looking at the plan he's got for us, and the devil's looking at the plan he's got for us, and God's having to adapt to weave and dodge and duck and dive through all the stuff that the devil's trying to throw in the way to stop people from getting where God wants them to be. And so we shouldn't really be surprised when we end up in the ditch, in the hole. Firstly, because we probably brought it on ourselves by being so blinded to the reality of how self-absorbed we are. And secondly, because we're living on planet Earth, which is a place that's dictated and governed by sin. You only have to look at the TV or read an internet news page for two seconds to pick that up. Things aren't good. They're good here. They're good in your life and in your home. It's all relative. But when you look at a global scale, things aren't good. And so when we hit a ditch and we end up in a hole, we shouldn't be surprised by that. But I bet Joseph was surprised because he's like us. He's human and he didn't expect it. Now, Mitch and I had an interesting chat about this, about this concept of the fact that we live in sin so often. We live in a mess and we only really stop to clean it up when something in our life comes along and really moves us. And that the metaphor for this is really funny. Um, Glenn and Cheryl Lee, I've got a, I've got a confession to make here. Um, Mitch and I, we, we weren't really like regular or consistent in the habit of vacuuming and sweeping. Now I trust that when you found the house when you returned, it was in good condition. I'm glad at least that's what you said in the message to me, Glenn. I don't know whether you were trying to be nice, but Mitch and I, we vacuumed and then we're mopping the whole of the house. And um, and Mitch's, I, I forgot which one of us said it, but we're like, isn't it funny how like you know this isn't a filthy mess, but there's there's like you know, a fair bit of dust around when you sweep up this floor. It's like, whoa, where did all that come from? And you're happy to live in this mess for the last year and a half, but when it comes time to move, you've got to clean it up. <laughs> it's like this, this house is in better condition when we're leaving than it's ever been when we were living in it. And isn't that interesting in life that so often the mess, we, we, we live in a mess and we kind of live in this ignorance to it because we're so busy and we're so comfortable that we only really stop to clean it up when we end up in the ditch. How often, how often do we actually stop and expect God to come in and help us clean that up when we're comfortable? We never do it because we've got everything sorted. I'm fine, I'm comfortable. don't need you right now, God. I've got this sorted. And then you end up in the hole and it's like, God, where are you? What happened? But we live in enemy territory. Expect the trial to come. The trial will come. Now, the trial doesn't always, and this is the trick the devil pulls on us, is the trial doesn't always feel bad. Sometimes the trial is temptation. Sometimes the trial is something that actually has been, you know, dressed up to look pretty good. For example, Potiphar's wife. And Dustin's talking about Joseph having the opportunity to be a marshmallow to grabber, to indulge, to go, oh, instant gratification. And this is a perfect example of where Joseph had the opportunity to go, hey, well, I've worked pretty hard in Potiphar's house here. And now this opportunity has presented itself. I could take that. I could take that opportunity. But luckily, Joseph's experience in the ditch and his life being turned on its head has given him a real fast track to uh, being a servant of God. And he he doesn't take that option. But I just want to point out that I am talking about trial. And I'm talking about us expecting the trial to come. But the trial isn't always this really hard thing that will be terrible. It's sometimes an option that you need to say no to. That kind of seems like it might be good for you that kind of seems appealing and attractive that kind of seems like it might be another little thing to add to your treasure hoard but you need to say no to that and it's not always in the in, in the in the sense of like a relationship it can be in the sense of possessions it can be in the sense of experiences or the things that you are pursuing for yourself and it's not always hard sometimes it's it's made a little bit too easy by the devil and we need to have the strength to say no to that, to that trial. I'm going to keep moving because I don't want to have you guys here until lunchtime. I wrote a lot of stuff down. I was saying to, uh Mitch, were on the way here this morning, when I first started doing talks, like for God, I was always really short. And people would tell me, man, that was good, but it was a bit short. And then I, saying, I just started teaching and 50 minutes becomes your lesson kind of period of time. <laughs> More recently, people were like, man, that was really long, so... You guys just need to give me the gong when you start to get sick of this, okay? <laughs> all right, I want to address a Bible text, and it's not part of the Joseph story, but it's, it's got a message in it that's linked to the Joseph story. And you've all heard it before, and I believe that it's been strongly misquoted by many, many churches and pastors, and myself included, at different times. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. So if you want to turn there with me, although I'm sure many of you can quote it, without even looking in your Bibles. Jeremiah 29:11 to 14 says this, when I get to it. It says, "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord, "'plans for welfare and not for evil, "'to give you a future and a hope. "'Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, "'and I will hear you. "'You will seek me and find me, "'when you seek me with all your heart.'" I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, gather you from all nations and all places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, in my experience, that text has very, very regularly been quoted as a personal promise to the people of the congregation. That this this is a promise to you, that God knows the plans for you and he knows the future, and and he's given you hope, and he's got these gifts and these good things lined up for you, and you need to look forward to that. But as I read this text, the the text preceding it is about Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. This is a prophet writing a letter to a bunch of exiles, to a bunch of people who are cast out because of conflict and and issues in Babylon. And he's writing to them saying, hey, God is not going to give up on you as a community of people. God's bringing you back. So I want to just firstly, yeah, clarify that I think that text, yep, yeah, it's cool to have that understanding that, like, God does have personal promises for us. But in that context, He's definitely speaking to a community of people. It's about more than just one. And that's where I want to take us now with Joseph. If we look at the story of Joseph, he starts out very much in the mindset that it's all about me. And as his story goes on, he starts to learn that this is more than just me, God's got a bigger plan. And he doesn't have the full realization of what that plan involves until the very end, but he understands now that it's not about him. And, and Jesus talks about this in Mark. If you want to turn there, Mark nine thirty three is a pretty awesome bit of text. Mark's got some. Mark just speaks straight to the point. Mark nine thirty three says, "Who is the greatest?" They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, Jesus, um, he asked them, what were you guys discussing on the way when you were walking here? And the disciples kept silent, for on the way they'd been arguing with each other about who was the greatest, who's the best, who's like the top, like the top of the order, who's the first batsman off the rank when Jesus calls his boys out. And Jesus sits down and he calls the 12 of them together. Now I imagine this is like when I've had my year 8s in PE just going crazy, running around everyone. I'm like, hey, everybody need to come here. And he come back to the middle and talk about a very important point that you cannot miss. And he says this, If anyone would be the first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put the child in the midst of them. And taking the child into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So he's saying, like, if you take, if you take me... If you take me as your saviour, you're taking my father. And that makes you not the first and not the greatest, but the last and the servant of all. And this is a lesson that Joseph starts to learn. It's not just about you. It's not about you being the greatest of your brothers. It's not about you being served. And this is a key point. Our own growth is important to God. The Jeremiah verse, like God having plans and prospering you and helping you to grow, that's really important to God. But more important to God is the growth of his community of believers. And that's what Jeremiah is saying when he writes to them and says, I'm going to bring you out of exile as a community of people. And yes, that will impact each of you powerfully. But as a community, you are more powerful. And so Joseph has to go through this journey of discovering that there's a bigger plan at work and that he needs to shift from being the person who thinks he's going to be served by these sheaves bowing down to him to being the one who is the servant. And that's, that's a mental shift that's pretty big for him from being like expectation of served understanding that you're the servant and that you are the one who will do God's bidding. Now, Joseph's servant heart um, brings to mind a famous kind of debate that atheists love to throw at Christians and that as Christians we wrestle with. And it's this idea in Ephesians 6, 5, and it says, Slaves, honor your masters. And and atheists love, and kids bring this up in Bible, the Bible says like slaves should honor their masters. Is the Bible supporting slavery? And you see atheists saying, Yeah, the Bible, it's so barbaric. They They say that you should like, You should respect the system of slavery. And really, I think Joseph gives us an awesome illustration of this as the servant of Potiphar, as the servant in the Egyptian jail, as the servant of the pharaoh. He's not doing that because he thinks Potiphar's an awesome guy. He's not doing that because he thinks that the Egyptian jail is an honourable place. He's not serving the pharaoh because he thinks that the pharaoh is God of the sun. He's serving God and he's doing the best that he can in the position that he's in. And he's respecting the masters that have been put above him no matter who they are, because it's honourable to God to do that, not because it's honourable to them. And he knows that in the hole, in the ditch that he's been put in, the only way he can get out is not by serving those human masters and not by serving his own in- like purpose and intents, because he's already seen where that got him, in a hole. And the only way to get out is to serve God. And if that means doing the best that he can in the situation he's in, no matter what afflictions have been placed upon him, then he'll serve God. And that's a huge lesson and a shift in Joseph's attitude that we see. That he goes from expectation of being served to the knowledge that he is a humble servant of whoever God puts him under. Even if they don't believe in the same God as him. Even if they worship in a pagan way, that's where he is. And it might not be for his own personal gain. And he's still at this point when he's like in the Egyptian jail does not understand the full gravity of the plan that God's got him in the center of. After being at his lowest point, Joseph couldn't really choose, pick and choose what he dedicated to God. He couldn't go, oh God, all right, I've been in the hole. Now, I'm going to dedicate this part of my life to you. I'm going to dedicate my, my, my family and my church life to you. But my workplace and my hobbies, I'm not going to dedicate those to you because that's my thing. Joseph didn't have the liberty to do that. And we do, and we do it every day. He had to say, God, I am stuffed. I am down and out. The visions and plans that I had for myself that I thought you'd given me, scrap them, they're gone. And what I'm left with, I give to you, no matter what. Now, there's a Bible verse that talks about that. It's Colossians 3.17. If you want to turn to it, it's one of my favorite bits of Scripture. And Colossians 3.17 says... Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed, no matter what you say and speak, no matter what you do in action, do it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph puts that into action in the toughest possible circumstances. He puts his words and his deeds towards the service of God. Now, how does this story end? How does it conclude? What's like, you know, the big finishing point? And the finishing point, as you guys all know, is deliverance. Deliverance of his family. Deliverance of the dreams that he had. And the way that he got there was not the straight path like the picture that we looked at. It was not the straight path that he was expecting. It was this journey of rising and falling, of being put to the test. Now, we turn back to Genesis 45, 3 to 8. We have... And it's like one of the coolest re- family reunions you'll ever read about. Um, unfortunately, Joseph's brothers still don't seem to fully comprehend God's plan, even though Joseph has. Genesis 45, 3-8 to says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land for two years and there are five years yet to come. And there'll be neither plowing or a harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to the Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and the ruler of the land of Egypt. Deliverance. Joseph finally sees the bigger picture. Now, at the very end of Genesis, there's an interesting bit of scripture that we don't often look at in this story. And it's it shows us that his brothers still don't get it. And it emphasizes the point that Joseph really does get it. Because his family's been delivered. He's like next to the Pharaoh in power. He's up there. You guys all know the story. And... uh. His family are by his side and Jacob dies. And his brothers still don't get it. And sometimes I think that we, we're like this. His brothers uh, saw that their father was dead and they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father has given this command before he died. Tell Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil and please forgive them. As you're a servant of God, and so are they. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers came and fell down before him. Behold, we're your servants, they said. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph finally sees the bigger picture. He goes from starting this story thinking that he's in the position of God thinking that the sun, the moon, and the stars are going to bow down to him. And he finishes the story with the full understanding that he is a servant, that he is not to be served. He is not on this earth to be served. God hasn't blessed him to be served. God has blessed him to be the servant. Now for us, for you and me, what does this mean? Well, we started this this morning talking about dreams and plans. And I don't want to stand here and tell you that you should not dream and plan. That's not the message. The message should be that we should dream and plan. But we should dream and plan and do these things knowing that these are God's plans. They're not ours. And if they are ours, then we need to surrender them to God. We need to do so knowing that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be the servants, not the served ones. And that this might mean, this might mean that you are afflicted like Joseph was and that God puts you in situations and circumstances and under people like slave masters who you don't don't think are worth honouring. But it's not about honouring them, it's about honouring God in whatever afflictions or circumstances we're put in. Because we do so knowing that through the trials, God is going to deliver. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the story of Joseph, one of the ones that's impacted me most of all of the, the testimonies in the Bible. And Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit has moved and that um, although it may not be an entire message that speaks to someone's heart, sometimes it can be a single thought. And I pray that this morning you have planted those thoughts in people's minds and that uh, as we leave this place, we leave with the full understanding that we are servants and that we have not been blessed. We have not been put in these situations that we currently live in, which realistically are fortunate. We have not been put in these situations to be spiritually fat, to be indulgent, to be marshmallow grabbers. We've been put in these situations to serve. And Lord, I pray that you show us the avenues through which you want us to serve. And I pray that we, we seek to honour you in whatever we do, in word or deed, that we would just yeah seek to shine your light. Amen.